Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. At the crossroads of sports and technology, several MLB teams, including the Pittsburgh Pirates, Cincinnati Reds, and St. Louis Cardinals, have been using iPads in the dugout during games this season under strict guidelines set up by MLB. One of those guidelines is that the iPads cannot be connected to Wi-Fi during the game. So all information on the device, such as scouting reports, have to be downloaded before the game. While MLB has been slow to adapt tablet usage, all NFL teams have Microsoft Surface Pros on the sideline through the league's sponsorship deal with the tech brand. Teams in all sports grapple with new technology, how to use it, and how to gain a competitive edge. Look for leagues to provide identical equipment to all of their teams, preferably through sponsorship deals with technology companies, and draft specific usage and implementation rules around them to ensure a level playing field. Sticking with technology, eSports beginning to make headlines. We're talking about multiplayer video game competitions. Two of sports media's largest companies have teamed up with the hopes of creating a competitive league and putting the contests on television. The goal? To tap into the largely untouched demographic. Young male gamers. Turner Sports and WMEIMG trying to take advantage of the huge growth in esports. More than 205 million people watch esports worldwide. And while details of the partnership have yet to be announced, this deal has been under work for the past year and is expected to be a long-term one. The effort has the best of all worlds. Fantasy, league camaraderie, skillful outcomes, young demographics, advertising benefits. Look for this to expand wildly in years to come. 2024 Olympic bids heating up. In a plan that largely remained a mystery to those surrounding it, New details have emerged about bids in Rome for the Olympics. The bid chair recently revealed a list of iconic venues that will take full advantage of Rome's historic settings and Italy's television-friendly backdrops. While it's still in the works, it reported the cyclists would finish the road race with a sprint on the majestic Via del Fori Imperiale. Sailing would take place off Sardinia, Sicily, or the Amalfi Coast and the marathon route would run along Rome's synagogue and mosque to promote interfaith peace. In regards to Rome's readiness, the chair said we can do the opening ceremony on the athletics tonight. We are certainly ready. Swimming tonight, 70% of the venues are existing. Meanwhile, in Los Angeles, USOC CEO Scott Blackman feels the Americans are deserving of being given the bid because 85% of the venues are already in place, along with a stellar Olympic pedigree as a two-time host. Olympic selection may be more competitive off the field than on. Cities like Rome and L.A. will compete against Paris, Hamburg, and Budapest for the selection in 2017. Look for the Los Angeles bid to generate widespread support and optimism throughout America. In addition to Michigan Business School, in addition to all of the other things that he's doing, uh, fresh off of Stinson, the Texaco, um, the Nancy teams, the Diamondbacks, the Padres, and now the president and CEO of the Miami Dolphins and Sun Life Stadium, Tom Garfinkel. How are you? I'm doing great, Rick. How about yourself? I'm doing well. 
how do you keep them all straight? So do you have a collection at home that has uh, Texaco hats and Ganassi hats and Padre hats and and uh, and uh, uh, Diamondback hats? What do you what do you what do you do? How, how do you know how do you know where you are? <laughs> well, it sounds like quite a lot, but that's over about twenty years. So um, yeah. Very aware of where I am. In fact, in my uh, in my closet at home, I've got a, a nice lineup of uh, actually football helmets. I've got my high school football helmet, and then I have helmets from the University of Colorado, where I went to school, and the uh, University of Michigan, where I went to graduate school, and then I've got a Dolphins helmet up there. So that's really that's really the the uh, the thing I like to look at. I go from high school to college to college to, to, to the Dolphins. I joke around that it took me 22 years to get into the NFL and the football, and uh, and uh, uh, it's kind of an overnight success from that standpoint, 22-year uh, overnight success. The Diamondbacks in 08, and then the Padres after that. Um, how'd that all happen? Very had an opportunity to go to the Diamondbacks, and you know, obviously went there in 06, was there for a couple of years, and, and learned a lot there before heading over to the Padres. So, um, you know, just a, a great experience in both. We won the division in 07, and uh, uh, went, went to the LCS in the playoffs, had a great experience, and... and uh, you know, had worked with some great people there and learned a lot. Well, yeah, you know, you talk about the on-the-field stuff, and I know you could you could take some credit for that, but but the big issue for for our listeners is the 1.2 billion dollar TV contract you did in San Diego, the concessions, the new Wi-Fi throughout the ballpark, and basically upgraded Petco to a first-class facility. Uh, obviously, something you're proud of. Yeah, well, you know, Larry Lachino uh, uh, was really sort of the visionary behind Petco Park, and when I got to San Diego, I, I inherited what was already, a, you know, what I call world-class ballpark. Um, I, I think at that time, you know, it had been open, uh, you know, probably five or six years, um, and all I really did was kind of freshen some things up, add some new things to it. You know, it was probably time for that because it had been open five or six years, but it was already just a wonderfully conceived place. And, you know, some of the things with the Wi-Fi upgrades, I'm, I'm proud of what we did with concessions, and I think we, uh, in a short amount of time, like over a couple of years, you know, I think if you go to Petco Park now still, it's it's one of the best concessions experiences in sports with regards to the diversity of the food and the quality of the food and the uh, the, the job everyone's doing there in terms of just it's a, it's a great experience to go there and eat and drink and have a good time and, and uh, so we did a lot of things to try to improve that part of the experience for sure well and, and the rules are different obviously but September 9 2013 you go to a another team sport but that changed your life being president and CEO of the Dolphins right yeah it's really a privilege you know I mean all these jobs are you know I kind of look at them like you're stewards of a public trust I, I told uh uh, the owners of really all the teams I've worked for. And when I came here, I said the same thing to Steve, like, you know, you don't really own the team. And uh, Steve looked at me and said, you know, uh, I paid a lot of money for this team, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wrote a billion one check. I own it. Yeah. I don't care what you said. said uh, yeah, right. I said, yeah, well, you know, the team was here before you got here. It'll be here after you're gone. And, and uh, yeah, it really belongs to the fans and the community and, and uh, you know, the people that were here before us, the players, the coaches, and all the, all the staff and people that worked here before. So, you know, Steve certainly understands that and is, is I think, you know, one of the most responsible, uh, uh, unselfish, you know, stewards uh, as an owner I've been around in terms of understanding that. Certainly his, you know, $450 million-plus commitment to, to, to improving the stadium is a testament to that, but also his passion and desire to win and, and, and his commitment and investment in that as well. And, and uh, he cares. He cares about the fans and he understands 
the legacy that came before him with the Dolphins and what that means. Um, shameless plug, by the way. Thank you very much for that. I have Valerie Lucchino on the next week after you this week. So we're, uh, you know, following in somebody's footsteps. I don't know what that really means. But segue before we get to London and the matter at hand into your halfway through, maybe more, Sun Life renovation. Probably not called a renovation. 50-year history of the Dolphins beginning the modernization, new facility, uh, world-class Talk about the economics for a minute because it is uh, unreal to know that Steve Ross basically stroked a $400, $425 million check with the understanding there's some return attached to it, but it puts South Florida in line for some Super Bowls, which inure to the benefit of the community even more than the team. So I laid a lot out there. Comment on all that, though, if you would. Well, I, you know, I think the, the stadium is 27 years old, uh, certainly needed, needed upgrading. Um, I, I think what's most exciting about it is when, when you really think about, you know, what some of the, the challenges were with the fan experience at the stadium. Um, you know, the stadium was obviously a multi-use stadium with baseball and everything for many, many years. So um, it didn't have the intimacy that fans loved about, for example, the old Orange Bowl and you weren't as close to the field maybe as you could have been. Um, and it's hot, you know, it's, it, and there's a lot of intermittent, uh, you know, tropical rainstorms that come and go. And when it rains, it, you know, it, it's like God's pouring a bucket of water on your head for 10 minutes and then it doesn't rain for another hour, you know. So, um, you know, putting this roof canopy on is going to protect people from both those rainstorms as well as the really hot sun. And, um, you know, that's that's a big investment, you know, putting a, a roof canopy on that still has an aperture in the middle and is, is uh, uh, safe for hurricane-type hurricane, hurricane type winds and everything else is a pretty pretty major engineering undertaking and, and financial undertaking. So the combination of moving the seats 25 feet closer to the field on either side, creating more intimacy, uh, and, and putting on that roof canopy, both of which were really Steve's vision, of, of change um, it has been the most dramatic and impactful things I think we can do uh, to the stadium. And incidentally, you know, it'll still be hot on the field. So, you know, the competitive advantage that uh, people in Miami talk about the Dolphins having for many years for practicing in this heat, you know, for training camp and the weeks leading up to, uh, to September and then having those hot September games, um, uh, is still going to be in play for the players. The fans will be protected from those elements and, and again, it's really a testament to uh, to Steve's commitment, and and, uh, uh, and he really wanted something that it's going to be here uh, for a long, long time. That the Dolphins would continue to stay in Miami for you know, and and be solidified in staying in Miami for the next 30 years. And one thing Steve never really talked about was moving the team. He never threatened to move the team or or come out and said, "I'm going to," you know. He he wanted he wanted the team to stay where it is. He knew, he knew that was important, and uh, this this commitment will ensure that that happens for a long time. I hear there's a rumor that you've been tasked to attempt to amend the CBA to reinstitute the Don Shula-driven five-a-day workouts that were the key to Dolphin success in the 70s in September because of the heat. That's, Any truth to that? That's, a, that's not a true rumor, but I, I will comment that we had Coach out to the training camp, you know, uh, a couple times. And I was standing there with him uh, back in, you know, August and July, and, and – uh, and the team was taking a water break. And, you know, we now have, you know, nutritionists, a sports scientists, and the nutritionist makes a different shake, you know, customized shake for every player afterwards based on, you know, urine tests and all these things that we do to 
check their salinity and their hydration levels and their, and their different minerals they need. And so they make these custom shakes for everybody, and there's all this sports science going on. Coach Shula just looked at me and said, water breaks? They, you know, they shouldn't get any water, you know. <laughs> well, you didn't have more guys passing out on the field on you back then. But uh, the stories from, you know, Rose and Bo Camper and Greasy and, and, and Dan and Matt Moore and all those guys are fantastic. And, uh, you know, I love hearing all the Coach Shula stories. But yeah, he but, certainly but, was a demanding guy to play for. There's no question. Yeah, but ladies and gentlemen, check Don Shula's record in September and you'll understand why that's so serious. Five, six minutes left, Tom Garfinkel, President and CEO of the Dolphins. What we're really here for as well. A few days from now, the first intra-conference, intra-division rivalry game. The Dolphins uh, take a home game, one of the ten, one of the eight regular, ten total, and take it over to London. Uh, talk a little bit about the logistical challenges from a business perspective on transporting a basically medium-sized business to England for a week and then bringing it back. Well, I mean, those, it's, it's really, I think the team approaches it no differently than any other uh, away game. I know that sounds a little crazy when you consider, uh, you know, that we're in another country. But, um, you know, if we were flying to Seattle, it's not terribly different than flying to London. I, you know, I know the coach decides, you know, when the team comes over and, and how they want, choose to prepare. So, um, they're actually coming over, you know, Thursday evening or get in Friday morning and prepare for the game, you know, in a similar fashion that they would another away game that they might fly in for on Saturday. They'll have an extra day or two to get adapted to the time change. But, um, uh, you know, I think from a logistical and preparation standpoint, I know the coaching staff and, and uh, Joe Chimino, our equipment manager, is just fantastic. I mean, he's uh, – if, if you know, I often say if everybody has his work ethic and attitude, we'd, we'd never lose a game or uh, or anything. The guy's just fantastic. So that that staff and the way they approach things and the way they handle the logistics and do all that, um, it's an impressive thing to witness. And I think, but I think they approach coming over here to London in, in a very similar manner than they might going to San Francisco. You know, so uh, we try to keep it as business as usual and not change the routine too much. That's the on-the-field stuff. Now, from a boardroom perspective, and I know you don't want to get too specific on numbers, but from a business show perspective, the, the expenses, the NFL making you whole for certain aspects of the trip, the bye week after, but that's more on the field, kind of just describe the, the, uh, the business deal involved in taking a home game overseas. Well, we work with the NFL on that, and, and they help make us whole, like you said. Um, you know, we kind of determine uh, a tier structure of the games based on the variable pricing and what tier the game might have been in and, and kind of do a comparison on what our expenses and revenues are for those games that are, are comparable games. And then they make us whole for what we would have done, you know, had we held this game at home. Um, you know, I think the experience for the team and for the fans to go over to London, you know, we've certainly got some of our key corporate partners over here that we're entertaining in London. Uh, we'll have, uh, you know, we've discovered there's over a thousand season ticket members that come into the game. Um, so we'll host, a, we've taken over a, a pub in downtown London called the Dolphins House, and, and we'll have alumni players there. And, uh, you know, all day long fans can come in and just interact, and it's kind of the Dolphin Central, if you will. Uh, and then we'll, uh, you know, obviously at the game, I mean, we've got a lot of fans over here in the U.K. having come over here for many years. Um, 
And it's, it's an impressive thing. If you go on Twitter, you'll see all the fans we have in the UK, and, and there's a lot of them. So you know, I think it's good for the sport. It's good for the NFL. It's, it's good for the Dolphins. And, uh, you know, it's something, something we enjoy doing. Well, a bigger picture, and I know you don't make policy as to expansion versus relocation versus 16 home games and 16 different teams, but, you know, Shad Khan, a Jaguars owner, is on record of wanting a game as many years as the NFL will give him one. And the NFL is looking at rotating games, and Mark Waller's been on with us talking about all of the various alternatives he has to consider. Where do you think this is going, and how do you view the Dolphins' role in this grand experiment? Well, I think, again, I think from a Dolphins' standpoint, you know, it's great for our fans, our partners. Um, you know, where it's going, I mean, I, I think that's a question for the commissioner in the NFL, you know. I'm not really sure. I mean, I do. I will say that you know the world's obviously shrinking. Um, you know, things are uh, you know w- with technology and everything that's happening. Uh, access to information, access to content is just much more global now than it had been in the past. And so, uh, you know, expansion and growth uh, can happen uh, internationally. You know, and so from that standpoint, I think the more we get our sport out to to more people around the world. Uh, the better it is for everybody, and and, for, and you know I think it's important for the teams, not just the league, but all the teams to think uh, big picture, think globally, think longer term, and and um, so from our standpoint, you know we're one of 32 teams, and uh, if the league asks us to participate in these types of things because it's good for the growth of the sport and long-term health of the sport, you know we we need to do our part uh, to help that just like everybody else, and and it's good for us too. You know again coming over here. Uh, with a big fan base, um, and and it's great for you know those thousand season ticket members and and our, our sponsors, and then we can come over here, come over to the UK. Obviously, I'm here. That's why I keep saying coming over here. I'm already in the UK, but um, uh, it's great. Uh, it's great for them to experience uh, something new and different as well. And, and it's a league. It's a league matter. Quite clearly, you're saying all the right political things as you should. It's it's not it's not for you to decide. But from a bigger picture perspective, just to end on this, you said earlier that. It almost feels like a trip, away game trip to Seattle, um, and you're looking at moving people weekly and then back. Will it feel like, uh, when all said and done, uh, effectively just just another road game, not only for the on-field guys but also for the front office people as well? Uh, it can. I mean, it, look, it, it's it's certainly special. It's unique. It's different. It's not exactly like a, a typical road game. Um, you know, you're going into another country. You're going into you know significantly different time zone, which changes things for television, obviously. Um, so from that standpoint, it is different. But I, I do think that um, you know, again, I'm not sure where it's headed. I, I think you know, for the NFL to play more games overseas, uh, as long as it's fair for all the teams competitively, meaning. Everybody, if there is a burden at all on time zone change or schedule or other factors, that all the teams kind of share in that burden equally, and and then all the teams share in the benefit equally as well. Because if there wasn't a big benefit for the league and sport, we, you know, obviously wouldn't be doing it. But I think, uh, um, you know, where it's headed, you know, I I would potentially see more international games being played in, in more countries in the future. Um, it's certainly not based on any you know explicit knowledge of that happening. I just would expect that that's sort of again the world is shrinking, so it makes sense that uh, uh, that that's that's where it would go. 
And ladies and gentlemen, it's good to know that Tom Garfinkel has been consistent with basically everybody we've talked to under Mark Waller and the commissioner's direction on this. And this is not the first and it won't be the last. Good luck to the Dolphins. Tom Garfinkel, president and CEO of the Dolphins, Sunlight Stadium. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. The producer of the show is Alex Cohen. Audio producer, Adam Wieson. Technical assistance provided by Jamie Weber, Tanner Simpkins, and Carlos Waddick. The executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso.